0: Welcome to the In God, She Trust podcast with your host, Kitri Cooper. And hello, everybody. Happy, well, I, I was going to say Sunday, but this is when I'm recording. I'm recording on a Sunday. But um, happy Wednesday, because these are when these actually come out. And um, I hope you guys enjoyed last week having my friend Jess Lena on. And I was just very glad to to have her here and to have somebody else on with me. And so today... Um, Or just, you know, recently, I've been struggling on, you know, having the Holy Spirit tell me what he wants me to talk about. And today, um, or this week, and especially today, he was just like, I told you a while ago what I wanted you to start on, but you haven't done it yet. And so we're going to be from here on out until we finish. You know, there there might be like a break or so in between if I have a guest on, but um, we're going to be going through the book of Romans. And uh, the, the book of Romans is probably one of my absolute favorite books in the Bible. Um, it's, it's absolutely amazing, but it is very, very heavy and it can be very, very hard to take and like a lot of things can be hard to swallow. And there's like a lot of things that can be kind of scary or hard to hear in the book of Romans, but it is extremely powerful. And so that's what we're going to be doing um, for a little bit as we're actually just going to be working through the book of Romans. And, um, you know, just kind of getting away from like the one topic thing that um, my goal is to make it through a chapter a week. But if you were with me when we did the, the, you know, when we did a little bit of Matthew, you know, (laughs) that's hard for me. Um, But that is what we're going to be doing. And I hope you stick with it. Is the book of Romans is absolutely amazing. And if you really open your heart and open your mind to what it has to say, this book would change your life. It'll change your faith. It'll change how you see God. It'll change how you see people. It's just really, really amazing. And before we even start Um, I want to pray. I mean, I always pray before I start recording, but I want to pray over all of us um, who is listening either now when this is released or when you listen to it in the future. Um, I always believe that there is no such thing uh, as coincidences with God. They're just small miracles. And so if somebody sent you this or you came upon it by accident or, you know, whatnot, um, I truly, truly believe that this is a word from God to, to me, to you, um, to who are listening. So let's just go ahead and pray wherever you're at. If you're driving, obviously do not bow your head and close your eyes, but, you know, just do whatever you feel like you need to do. Um, dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this word that you are going to give us, and I thank you for this person who is listening to the sound of my voice right now, I pray that your hand and your blessing and your wisdom falls upon them, that you will open our minds, you open our hearts to your wisdom, to your knowledge, and to what you have for us in this chapter. Lord, we pray that we are just constantly receptive and not closed-minded and not closed-hearted, that we are always wanting you, wanting your direction, and ultimately wanting your will for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let's just dive right into it because I've got a lot of notes, y'all. I got like three, four pages of notes. So here we go. So the book of Romans, we always have to do a little bit of history on it because you have to know um, kind of the historical context of when the book was written, why it was written, who it was written for, everything like that. So the history of it, it is um, written 100% undeniably by Paul. Um, And he wrote it um, to Rome while he was in Corinth. He was preparing to go to Jerusalem. um, But when he wrote this book, he had never been to Rome. He had never, you know, preached to Rome. He had not, you know, spread the gospel there. Um, What what this was is um, the Rome church was mostly Jewish people, um, but they had a lot of converts known as Gentiles, right? And the Jews... In Rome came to faith during Pentecost. Back in um, if you look just in the previous book in Acts chapter two, um, a lot of those Jews came to faith during Pentecost. And then on their way back home, they spread the gospel and they spread their faith as they as they traveled. Um, And Paul had heard about this, and so he wrote a letter to them before he, he he had even been to Rome or met these people, he wrote this letter to them. He was still in Corinth, kind of wrapping up his min, his ministry there. And this was around the year 57 AD. And even other leaders um, like, you know, James or anything had not been to Rome. And back then they didn't have like, you know, like the gospels, like written down paper form that, you know, that is like widely spread as we have today, right? It's a very good chance that it had had not circulated. So the book of Romans could possibly be the first written form of Christian literature to the Roman, to the Roman believers. And um, I've got like three Bibles open, but um, I'm going to read Um, Romans out of the New Living Translation. Y'all know me, I'm a big proponent of, you know, the Christian Standard Version or Bible. I also really like the the New King James Version, but I, there's just something about the New Living Translation about the book of Romans that just really hits a little deeper for me. So what we're going to do is I'm going to read the entire chapter all the way through, and then we're going to go through it and we're going to break it down. Okay, so we are starting, obviously, in Romans 1. I'm reading the New Living Translation. It says, this letter is from Paul. So that's why we know Paul wrote it, because it literally says this letter is from Paul. A slave of Christ Jesus, chosen by God to be an apostle and sent out to preach his good news. God promised this good news long ago through his prophets in the holy scriptures. The good news is about his son. In his earthly life, he was born into King David's family line and he was shown to be the son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Through Christ, God has given us the privilege and authority as apostles to tell Gentiles everywhere what God has done for them so that they will, be, they will believe and obey him, bringing glory to his name and you are included among those Gentiles who have been called to belong to Jesus Christ. I am writing to all of you in Rome who are loved by God and are called to be his own holy people. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Let me say first that I thank my God through Christ Jesus for all of you, because your faith in him is being talked about all over the world. God knows how often I pray for you. Day and night I bring you and your needs in prayer to God, whom I serve with all of my heart by spreading the good news about his son. One of the things I always pray is for the opportunity, God willing, to come at last to see you. For I long to visit you so I can bring you some spiritual gift that will help you grow strong in the Lord. When we get together, I want to encourage you in your faith, but I also want to be encouraged by yours. I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to visit you, but I was prevented until now. I want to work among you and see spiritual fruit just as I have seen among other Gentiles. For I have a great sense of obligation to people in both the civilized world and the rest of the world, to the educated and uneducated alike. So I am eager to come to you in Rome, too, to preach the good news. For I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like, as a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. As a result, they did vile, degrading things with each other's bodies. They treated the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things that God created instead of the creator himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. That is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men And as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty that they deserved. Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that should never have been done. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malice, behavior, and gossip. They are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning, and they disobey their parents. They refuse to understand, break their promises, are heartless, and have no mercy. They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die, yet they do them anyways. anyway. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. So that is the very first chapter of Romans. Do you guys see why I was nervous to, to talk about Romans? There's a lot here, but Romans is so good, y'all, okay? It's so good, but it's got, oops, I'm dropping things. Um, it's got so much good to it that if we just open our minds and allow God to come in and soften our hearts and just um just allow him to speak to us, he will. And so... When, when we talk about, like, these hard things or, like, when I come um, with passion or what seems like um, anger, it's not anger, it's just passion about certain things, um, it's because I know the heart of the Lord for everyone, and um, I've seen his hand in my life, um, but it, it never comes out of a place of condemnation. And so sometimes condemnation and conviction feel like the same thing. And so like if you're in Christ Jesus and you feel like, like oh, this, oh, this, I, hate, I don't like this. This seems, uh, right? That's the Holy Spirit convicting you and trying to talk to you. But it's never coming out of a place of condemnation. So um, let's, let's just get into it. Let's start breaking it down. So um, Paul was a Roman citizen. And so when it said um, in, like, verse 1, where it says this letter is from Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus chosen by God to be an apostle and sent out to preach his good news, he, he was a Roman citizen. So this was absolutely crazy for a Roman citizen to be thought of as a servant or a slave, right? Right. Um, he, uh, you know, Romans really thought of themselves as the highest form of humanity. If you were a Roman citizen, you were automatically way better than everyone else. And if you were, you know, a Jew, you were, you know, the scum that, you know, you were a pig, you were, you were gross. But if you were a Roman citizen, you were almost treated automatically as royalty, right? And so when he says, um, that he was, you know, a slave, um, other other areas, I think, say um, say a servant, right? Um, called to be an apostle, separated by the gospel. Um, it was absolutely crazy, for 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 people who were in Rome to to be thought of as you're supposed to be a servant, okay? And then when it talks about, it says in verse three, the good news is about his son, that he was shown to be the son of God and. Um, that there were there were prophecies that showed that Christ was the Son of God. And we're gonna go through and we're just gonna look at some of these um these scriptures where it shows and talks about you know the coming of Christ and all of the prophecies that talk about him. So let's go to Psalm 1610. For you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. Also, you know, the Holy One, that's, that's Christ, talking about his resurrection, okay? Um, Isaiah 11 is the one that we're going to go to next. And it says, out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot. Yes, a new branch bearing fruit from the old root. And the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. He will delight in obeying the Lord. He will not judge based on appearance, nor make a deception based on hearsay. He will give justice to the poor and make fair decisions for the exploited. The earth will shake at the force of his word, and one breath from his mouth will destroy the wicked. He will wear, the right, he will wear righteousness like a belt and, turn, and truth like an understanding. That's talking about Christ. And, you know, it just says in the very first, I almost said episode, on the very first verse, it says, out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot. And Jesus came from the line of David, where, which it, it says literally in, in the very verses that we just read in Romans. Um, it, it's saying that he will come from David's family line, that he was born into David's family line, and he was shown to be the son of God, when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit, and um, there's there's you know a bunch of other you know prophecies in Zechariah. I think it's like Zechariah Zachari- uh, nine nine through eleven, Zechariah twelve ten, and then like Malachi four one through six. All of Scripture points to Christ, and especially um, all of the Old Testament points to Christ. Okay. So what he's saying here to these Romans is Jesus literally fulfilled the very prophecies that were written thousands of years ago, right, and hundreds of years ago. There was like a 400-year period from, you know, the last book of the, the Old Testament, um, which is Malachi, to Matthew. There was 400 years of silence where um, the Lord was silent, and it was just leading up to Christ, And so, um, and then if we look into, you know, verses three through five, um, the rest of the book of Romans really expand on these verses where it says the good news is about his son and his earthly life was born into King David's family line and he was shown to be the son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is Jesus Christ our Lord. Through Christ, God has given us the privilege and the authority as apostles to tell Gentiles everywhere what God has done for them so that we so that they will believe and obey him, bringing glory to his name. The rest of Romans is all based on those three scriptures. It all kind of ties back into that theme. And so when it's talking about um he he's really big on um Grace and salvation in here. The overall message of Romans is doctrine of salvation, practical implications that we can just put into our daily lives, imparting spiritual strength. And and, and he puts a big emphasis on righteousness and justification by grace through faith. And we're going to see this constant theme as we continue to, to move through these next verses. But that is like overall arching theme of Romans. And verses five through six, though Christ, God has given us the privilege and authority as apostles to tell Gentiles everywhere what God has done for them, so that they will believe and obey Him, bringing glory to His name. And you are included among those Gentiles who have been called to belong to Christ. We are called to be obedient to the faith, and that's a that's a a big. Kind of thing that um, you know, my heart has been is that if we love God, we will obey Him. If we understand the the price that He He paid for our salvation, we will be obedient to Him. But that it is for Gentiles everywhere, and so like we're Gentiles, we were not born Jewish, we were not a Jew, and so. we get the same salvation and the same love that he would give his chosen people, the Jew. And because of that, we are called to belong to Christ Jesus, which means we get to be a part of God's family. We get to be a part of his kingdom. He is not, you know, uh, you know, He doesn't show partiality and he chooses this person, but he doesn't like you. So he's not going to choose you, but oh, he'll, he'll choose this person instead. It's like, no, he, he wants everyone to be able to be a part of his family. He says, I want you to be able to sit at my table and eat of my food and drink of my cup and live in my kingdom and and be in this splendor. And there is not one person that he is going to deny if their hearts want to repent and come to him and acknowledge him as true King in their lives and acknowledge him as true master in their lives. And so this was this was really big. And then, it, as it goes on in verse seven, he says, "I am writing to all of you in Rome who are loved by God and are called to be His own holy people. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace." He's also really big on grace and peace. Um, if you look at like all of the books that he he writes, he always he always says like grace and peace to you. But so he's writing this letter to the Romans, and Rome was huge. I mean, if you just know any history, right? Rome was huge. It expanded many, many continents. It took over many countries. It had so much wealth, so much power. It it was the epitome of culture. A lot of where we get our things even in America today is based on um, what the Romans did back then. You know, our very democracy is set up how Rome set it up, right? So, it was, it had a huge worldwide influence on everybody. And Rome was really, really big on um, like force and um, protecting their land and protecting their beliefs with force and with fighting and with might, right? Um, So Rome was huge. It was powerful and it was absolutely glorious. It, It was extremely wealthy, but it was also very, very sinful. And Romans, Worshipped pagan or he, known as like heathen gods. So through um, starting in verse eight, it says, "Let me first say that I thank my God through Christ Jesus for all of you, because your faith in Him is being talked about all over the world." So these Jews that had come to faith that you know through um, the day of Pentecost when they heard that, um, and then they spread it. It their faith and how they came to Christ was just kind of sweeping over the entire world by storm. Everyone was talking about it. They were spreading their faith like crazy. And, you know, so Paul is just saying, I thank God through Christ Jesus for all of you because your faith in him, he's just saying your faith is beautiful, what you're doing here. And then in verse nine it says, God knows how often I pray for you. Day and night I bring you and your needs in prayer to God, whom I serve with all of my heart by spreading the good news about his son. Um, and so what he's doing is he's just like... Even though I haven't met you, I'm still going to pray for you. We are brothers and sisters in Christ, so I'm going to pray for you. And this is what, you know, kind of the posture we should be taking with everyone is, like, we're going to be praying for our brothers and sisters, not just those who go to church with us and sit next to church with us, but those who might be in other denominations and other faiths, that they are still brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus, and we are supposed to pray for their need, and we're supposed to go to God and intercede for them and pray for them and just bring... Um, bring um, bring them to the feet of God. and so that's something that I want to start doing more of and but with Rome they they had a lot of what is known as like heathen gods and all heathen means is a person who does not belong to the God of Israel or is lacking moral principles. and so I mean um, they they worshiped like, a God of this, and a God of this, and a God of this, and a God of this. And so Romans, um, or Greeks, they really, really thought that Christians were nuts because they thought it was crazy that we would have one God for everything, but they literally had one God for literally everything, right? They had a God of war, a God of this, a God, and so it was absolutely crazy to people in Rome the idea that there's only one God for everything. And uh, Paul was just like, I'm going to, to bring you and your needs in because Christians in Rome were heavily persecuted. I remember I went to Rome um, about f- six or seven years ago, and I can't remember exactly the place, but it was like the courts of where, um, oh, what's his name? Caesar? Caesar? Uh, uh, I I just remember in Bugs Bunny where he's like, bring me a victim, right? I can't remember his name right now, but it was like in his courts in like his one of his gardens, and there was these hu- this huge fence with these massive spikes, um, on this fence, and our guide was like, so here is where like some of the worst persecution of Christians happened. And they're like, he would light this garden at night by taking Christians in Rome, dipping them in oil. This is really gruesome. So trigger warning, dipping them in oil and putting them on these spikes alive and then lighting them on fire. That's how he would light this pathway or this garden or this court in his castle and he would use Christians to do it and then you know you also have the Colosseum where Christians were heavily persecuted they were fed to lions and they were they were murdered for for game and for sport and so being a Christian in Rome was a death sentence and these Christians here, that's why, you know, Paul was saying their faith is so beautiful because these Christians were just proclaiming it everywhere. They were telling everyone their faith was spreading like wildfire. They were they were spreading the gospel like wildfire. And so it was an absolute beautiful thing. Um, but, you know, they're putting their, their lives on the line because it was not customary in Rome to have these types of beliefs. And because Rome was was the superpower of the world, Rome could pretty much do whatever they wanted to whomever they wanted. And so it was, you know, it was kind of a an overarching theme of darkness, but it was it was beautiful because they were being the light in the darkness that we are called to be. And then um it says in verse 12, when we get together I want to encourage you in your faith, but I also want to be encouraged by yours. So Paul, who was a huge apostle of God, who did many amazing things, was saying, I want my faith to be encouraged by yours because of what you are doing, what you are saying, what you are proclaiming. He's like, yes, I want to encourage you, but I need to be encouraged. I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to visit you, but I was prevented until now. I want to work among you and see spiritual fruit, just as I have seen among other Gentiles. So eventually, Paul does make it to Rome. So he, he prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed, you know, for God to send him to Rome. And God did send him to Rome. But when Paul was sent to Rome, he was in prison. He was a slave. He, he prayed for to God, you know, you know make me get to Rome safely. He did get to Rome safely, but it was as a prisoner, right? But sometimes, you know, when we pray to God about things, it does not happen in the way that we, that we think it's going to happen. But he was still so excited to be able to get to Rome after he finally did it. And then it says in v- verse 14, for I have a great sense of obligation to people in both the civilized world and the rest of the world, to the educated un- and uneducated alike. Um, so in if you look in the Christian Standard Version or in the, um, the New King James Version, it says in verse 14, I am obligated to both... Greek and to barbarian, both to the wise and to the foolish. So Greek and barbarian, that just means a Greek uh, somebody who is of Greek culture and somebody who is not of Greek culture. Um, wise and the foolish, like it says in ver- um, in the New Living Translation, is just somebody who is educated versus somebody who is not educated. He says, "I have, I have an obligation to you, um, that you will have, you know, that I can have a fruitful ministry among you." just like the rest of the Gentiles. He is obligated to both uh, people of the Greek culture and not the Greek culture, both to the uneducated and the educated um, because of his radical transformation in God. If you look at his story um, on the road to Damascus, he was a murderer of Christians. He he ordered their execution. He signed off on them, and then on the road to Damascus, the Lord showed up and blinded him and he had a radical change of heart for God and he just became this amazing apostle and he ultimately died and was martyred because of his faith. Um, but he was pretty much saying like, I have an obligation to you. And I really think that a part of his obligation is because he knew the price that God paid for him, the price that Christ paid for him. He's like, I, I owe my life to him. So I, I am obligated to serve you. And that is honestly like the heart posture that I want to have and that I just pray to God that every person who comes to Christ is like that, Lord, because of what you saved me for or what you saved me from, because there's two types of testimonies. God either saved you for something or he saved you from something. My testimony is he saved me from something, right? But I'm just like, Lord, I owe you my life because of what you saved me from. And because of what you did and you paid that penalty for me, I want to do anything that you want to do in my life. As scary and as crazy as it can come, I want to be obedient and I and I I feel like I am obligated to God. And sometimes I don't feel like obligation is the right word because it seems like it's like forced, but I love him so much because of what he did for me that I would do anything for him. And I really feel like that is the the this is the position that Paul is taking here. And that's where it says in verse 15, so I'm eager to come to you in Rome too to preach the good news. And then I love this in verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. This is for everyone, everyone. The Bible, all of scripture was written by Jews for Jews. And so a lot of times we kind of get this idea that, you know, it it's all about us it's all about literally everyone but when you look back at history god chose abraham which or you know which is known as israel and um there are some scholars that believe that you know god chose abraham pretty much by like any meeny, my nemo right there was there's really no rhyme or reason to why he chose abraham i mean we don't we don't always understand why god chooses who he chooses or does what he does but it it was literally like he could have chosen anyone and it's because Everything was so sinful, everything was so dark that God was like, I'm going to choose this people and I'm going to show my power through redeeming them and bringing them up and blessing them and doing these incredible, amazing things through these people. And so the the scripture and the redemption of God's love was for Jews. And so scripture was written by Jews for Jews. But because God does not show partiality, God said, You know what? If anyone else who is not born a Jew wants this, I will adopt them into my family. I will give them the same grace and the same salvation as I do my chosen people, and you will become my chosen people because you laid down your life, you repented, and now you get to be in my family. God does not show partiality. He does not um, play favorites. And so that is why this is such a beautiful gospel is because it was written originally first to his Jewish people, to his chosen people. But he also extended it to the Gentile, to the people that were not chosen. And in verse 17, it says, this good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life, or in, uh, that's in Habakkuk 2.4, or the righteous will live by faith. It is saying that we are only made righteous through our faith. And all righteous means is a person who is morally right or virtuous, very good or excellent. And so by nature, our sin nature does not make us morally right. It does not make us virtuous. It makes us very bad and quite grotesque in some areas, right? But it is saying we are only made morally right, very good or excellent through our faith in Jesus. So he's pretty much putting a kibosh here that's like you can try to work your way into it, but it's never going to be enough, our, our dead deeds, our dead works um, that we do just to kind of get ourselves into grace with God is not how we are made righteous. We are made righteous through faith in Christ Jesus, point blank, period. That is the basis of salvation, is belief in Christ Jesus. There is absolutely nothing you can do to work into heaven, to work into salvation, to work into righteousness. Because like the parable of the, the master who gives or, or to the king who forgives debt, I can't remember what part of scripture it is right now, but this king, um, ultimately, if you kind of like look at today's currency, like this one dude owed the king like $5 billion and the king forgave his debt. Right. And this was just like a common person. This would be like, uh, you know, a a, a teacher who owed five billion dollars to like Jeff Bezos or something. And Jeff Bezos is like, you know what? don't even worry about it you don't owe me anything right that person that that te- that teacher would be working forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and wouldn't even make a dent in the in the debt that they owe but there's but god was just like you know what you there's no way you could ever pay this back to me so i'm going to forgive it to you so there is someone that just feels like you're always striving or working to earn god's love but You already have it. You already have the love and forgiveness of Christ. You just have to have faith in him. You don't have to work. You don't have to say this prayer or do this thing or go to this quote unquote temple or do this certain thing. And like you already have it. He already gave it freely. You just have to have faith in him. And then if we look in verse 18 through 19, this is where we start getting into the hard parts of Scripture that that is hard hard to hear. Um, So actually it's through verse 20, so 18 through 20. But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious for, to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power, and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. So what it's talking about here is God shows anger against sin. All sin, all wicked people... Um, because they substituted truth for lies. I have substituted truth for lies. You have substitute, substituted truth for a lie or a fantasy or what we want. He, he wants to restore us, but he cannot restore us if we refuse to let go of our wicked ways, of our sin. And ultimately, ultimately, we refuse to let him restore us because of our self-centered ways and our self-centered lifestyles. And it's it's all become very, very me-centered in the church. I want to be comfortable. I want this. I want that. I want this in this way. Me, 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 me. But in doing so, we, we become extremely sinful and wicked people. He cannot and will not tolerate sin because he is a pure, perfect, and holy God. And our own deeds that we think are quote-unquote good do not get us God's favor. when we start thinking that we know best, I want God, but I don't want to give up this. I want God's blessing, but I still want to continue doing this. God cannot and will not turn a blind eye to it. Yes, he gives grace, but that doesn't mean that he is not going to call us out on our sinful ways, if it goes against his scripture and against his laws and against what he says that we are supposed to do. Everything in creation points to God. If you look at the trees, the branches lift up towards heaven. The grass stands straight up pointing towards heaven. All of the stars all of everything points to God. The sun in the sky is supposed to be a symbol of the son of man where there is there is nothing that can get away from its heat. That's a verse somewhere. I know I just read that. I think that's in Mark somewhere, right? The moon also reflects God as being the light in the dark places. All of creation is extremely detailed, And intricate. Everything is. I mean, how many types of beetles are out there? How many types of fish? How many types of birds? The different colors, the different, the different, you know, cows, the different types of dogs. Everything is so detailed and then how things reproduce and how things come to be and how things just are and how it's so beautiful and how everything works. I mean, just in our solar system alone, if we, if the earth was one degree, just one tiny little degree closer to the sun, we'd burn up. And if the earth was just one small degree away from the sun, we would freeze and how we keep turning and how everything keeps orbiting and how the, the universe is expanding faster and faster and faster than scientists know what to do with. And there's still species of, of animals that we are still discovering and that there is still math out there that we have not yet uncovered. And there is so much in earth. Everything points just in creation to God. Because he created everything, he is so big, so much bigger than we could possibly imagine. I mean, just his words alone created everything you see. By his words, everything came into existence. It says in Genesis that the earth was formless and void. It was all darkness. There was no rhyme. There was no reason. There was no shape. There was no substance to it. But just out of his mere words. Everything came into being. So if everything came in, came into being through him. Then everything in its being is going to be glorified for him. Because of Adam's fall. The earth is cursed. That's why there's thorns and thistles. We talked about that in a couple episodes back. But. The the earth yearns for the redemption Christ will give at his second coming. That's in um, Romans 8.22. It literally talks about like birthing pains, like the the earth groans for God to come back and restore it. It says um, in Romans 8.22, for we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have a Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. The earth itself groans like like being in childbirth for the redemption because the earth was also cursed because this is why the earth was cursed. Adam was given... Um, dominion and rulership over the earth and because Adam was then cursed everything underneath it that he was supposed to rule and, and um, be kind of sovereign over was also cursed that's why we have natural disasters earthquakes, tornadoes, hurricanes that's why we have weeds that's why we have thorns that's why we have thistles is because of Adam's curse it then went to everything else that he was supposed to rule over But then the really big part to me that's crazy um, in Romans chapter 1 verse 20 is it literally says that we are without excuse. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power, and his divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. We have something in us that we are born with that knows he is real. We are born with a sense of God. We are born with a sense that there is something bigger out there. We are born with a sense that there is a higher power. That's why witchcraft is so big right now. That's why crystals are so big. Why, you know, people practice yoga so much and tarot cards, it's because, you know, you know, people believe that the universe is like the great power, right? Like, nah, fam, the universe was built by God. God is the higher power. But that's why people like go towards witchcraft and stuff is because like, there's something in us that knows there is something bigger than us out there. And so that's why like many times when people are dying, That is like the biggest um, area that people finally realize there is a God is on their deathbed. And it's because there's something that God put in us. I think it's because he made us with his own hands. He breathed his own air into us to give us life. There is something that we absolutely know to be true in our soul. We know it in our spirit. We know it in our soul but our minds and our selfish desires is what tries to convince us of otherwise. It's our self-centered ways that want to make us God instead of realizing that only God is God. And so that's why in verse 21 it's talking about idolatry and how these people, because of their sinful ways, like we, they knew God, it says they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And because they knew god but they didn't want to worship him they I, ultimately i think they wanted to worship themselves we want to worship ourselves it's like that's why like self care is so big just you got to love yourself which is true yes but it's only because of the love that we have for god and the the love that god has for us that we can love ourselves and then love other people but um Because I knew God, but I didn't want to worship him as God. I began to be an extremely sinful and foolish person. I've told my testimony many times. And that's just kind of the trap that we, especially in the American church, fall into. Is we don't want to worship him as God or give thanks to him. We want what we want. We don't want to follow his laws because they're not cool. They're, they're, they make us uncomfortable. They don't make sense to us because God's laws goes against our flesh, our sinful desires, our natural way. And it says they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worship idols made to look like mere people, birds, animals, and reptiles. So this is really, really big. And this is kind of what I was talking about with um, witchcraft and people who um, believe in the universe, right? Oh, you just got to put it out in the universe. The universe will give you, you know, this. The universe will give you that. We have lost our sense of identity on who we are. Idolatry is rejecting God's truth and putting anything in place of God. And all idolatry means is to worship idols, or it also means extreme admiration, love, reverence for something or someone. So instead of having extreme admiration, love, and reverence for God, we put something else in its place. And it's because we no longer respect God. We no longer have a healthy fear of God And so we put something else in its place. And we become idolaters when we focus on ourselves instead of God. And then in verse 23, what it talks about, you know, they made idols out of, you know, looking like mere men or animals or birds or reptiles. We were created to rule over the animals in creation. So here, that is where where these people or We lose sight of who we are. In Genesis... God spoke everything into existence. He made the birds of the air, the reptiles, the water, the sun, the stars, everything out of words. But we, humans, were the only thing that he made with his bare hands. He made Adam out of dust from the ground. And he made Eve out of the rib of Adam and it says he forms us it says in psalms that he he knits us together in our mother's womb that he literally puts together our inward parts that is with his hands that is intricate He's also known as like the potter, right? With clay, he was molding us and he fits us. That's very intricate. He's right in there shaping everything. And we are the only pieces of creation that did that. And then he gave us dominion over the earth. So why on earth are we looking to animals, people, and birds or reptiles as gods when we are, we're supposed to be their rulers, Yes, the universe is vast and amazing and huge, but he created that with his words, not his hands. You were created with his hands. All other creation is kind of like, who is this person that they get to be so amazing? There's a verse that the angels are like, who is this creature that God made just below himself? The universe is not God. God created the universe. We have got to stop looking at horoscopes and tarot cards and witchcraft and crystals as a way to bring us peace and joy and bowing down to idols of, I mean, of of money and pride and people. When we are the only things on this earth that he created with his bare hands. Know who you are. I do not know where that came from. Ooh. I feel the presence of the Lord in my podcast lab right now. He says, know who you are. (sighs) Sorry, I have to breathe for a second before I move on. But if we continue to worship idols, to be self-centered, to live how we want to live, God will allow us to be turned over to that life. He will let us choose him or ourselves, even if he knows that we will kill ourselves spiritually with our own sin. He is not a God who forces you to love him, who forces you to do his ways. He will let you choose what you want, even if it means that you are en- going to end up killing yourself spiritually. Verse 24 says, so God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. As a result, they did a vile And degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. Satan is very good at what he does, y'all. And so, if we are not in our scripture, if we are not in God's word, the truth, and studying that, we cannot know what is the lie. I came across a video on Instagram today, and it was this guy talking about, um, people who work in the U S treasury, um, their, their job is to be able to point out what is real hundred dollar bills or real currency or fake or counterfeit. And so it was like, you'd think that they would study the counterfeit bills, like absolute crazy in order to recognize a counterfeit, but they don't, what they do is they study the real currency, the real bills so much that when they come across currency, they're like, I don't know why it's fake, but I know it's fake because they have studied the truth so much. And they have studied the real thing so much that when a lie comes, they can tell that it's a lie. And that is why we've got to be in our word. That is why we've got to be in the word of God, because it is truth, y'all. It is 100% truth. And so if we are not studying it, we can't know if we are being lied to or not. Be in your word. So they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself who is worthy of eternal praise. That is literally the tangent that I just went on. Why are we worshiping what is created instead of the creator? He is worthy of everything. Everything. So do not worship the universe Worship the one who hung the universe in its place. I literally see God, like, placing the universe like an ornament on a tree, a Christmas tree, right? He placed the universe where it's at and everything in it. So we need to make sure that we are worshiping him. And then in verse 26, that is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other men did shameful things with other men and as a result of this sin they suffered within themselves the penalty that they deserved this is a hard uh, this is a hard thing to talk about but i but i got to um so homosexuality is nothing new like you know homosexuality today is just as, as, as widespread as it was when Paul was writing to the church in Rome, um, thousands of years ago. Um, and so, I mean, it's, it's always been, it's always been something that, um, that people have struggled with. Right. And so it's, it's, especially now it's become very, very widespread and accepted and, and everything. Um, but homosexuality is strictly forbidden in scripture. You can also look up Leviticus eighteen twenty two. Homosexuality, um, is considered an acceptable practice in our world today. And a lot of people celebrate it. And if, if you are a homosexual, I am not condemning you whatsoever. Whatsoever. but I also know how God created you. It doesn't make sense because attraction is not a sin. You cannot find me one verse in the Bible where it says being attracted to somebody of the same sex is a sin. It is acting on it. That is, there are desires Of my flesh that I know is a sin that I want to do, but I have to kill that desire because God created us in a way that reflects Him with His people and Him with His church. But society cannot be the one to determine the standard for God's laws. And some people believe that um, that your attraction is is normal, um, or you're, that you're born with it. But God does not obligate or encourage us to fulfill our desires desires, even the normal ones, even the heterosexual sexual desires outside of marriage. And we have to just make sure that our desires do not become acted upon. That's why I always talk about sacrificing our flesh. God had a natural plan for sexual relationship in his idea with creation. But unfortunately, because sin entered the world, all it did is it just distorted the natural ways that God created it to be and just twisted it. So sin... Means not only denying the use of God, you know, of, of God, but also denying the way we were made. Um. When people there, there's a note in my the in my new um, in my Bible that I want to read. It says, when people say that any sex act is acceptable as long nobody gets hurt, they are fooling themselves. In the long run and often in the short run, sin hurts people, individuals, families, and whole societies. God is God wants to receive anyone who wants to come to him in faith. And Christians, we need to love and accept others no matter what their background is. A lot of times people in the church be like, oh my gosh, they're a homosexual. We can't associate with them. That's the big sin, you know, oh my gosh, they're homosexual, We we can't. We can't talk to them. No, bro, if God, if God loves you, he can love them too. Like, I, just because my sin was heterosexual does not make my sin less than the sexual sins of homosexuals. But the thing is, is we have to lay that part of our lives down. We have to, we have to sacrifice our flesh and lay it down and know that God's laws are God's laws. That he means what he says. Even if it doesn't seem fair. Even if it doesn't seem right. Even if it's not convenient. Even if it absolutely hurts us to our core. We don't get that option. We don't get to have an opinion on it. There are still laws in the Bible that I struggle with, like, God, why? Like, that's not what I think, that's not what I want, that's not how I feel. But I also know that my own ways and my own desires have nearly killed me. So please hear my heart on this. I am not condemning or judging you if you're if you have same-sex attraction or if you're if you have if you struggle with sexuality or your orientation or anything I love you my sexual sin nearly killed me and it left me in chains and so I have to love you enough to tell you That your sexual sin, if you continue to choose it, will leave you in chains as well. My sin is not greater than your sin. Let me make that very clear. I am better than no one. My sin is the same sin as yours. Just because it looks different and comes in a different wrapper, it is still the same. But Jesus did not die on the cross for our bad behavior to continue or for our sinful desires to continue. He died on the cross so that he could break the chains off of everybody so that we would no longer be slaves to our own selves and slaves to sin, slaves to our sexual desires, slaves to our bodies, slaves to our, 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 our gods, our little G gods, slaves to our idols, Jesus did not die on that cross so we can continue the same way. He died so we can live more abundantly, freely. So please hear my heart on that. If we have these sinful desires, we have to resist acting upon them. And so there are certain things that I avoid because of my past life. I have a past life of sexual sin and of lust. And so there there are songs that I cannot listen to. There are movies that I cannot listen to. There are places that I cannot go or be there after a certain time because of my past. And that is a boundary that the Holy Spirit has put on me. And so if you're you know, struggling with sexual sin or or homosexuality or anything like like this passage is talking about and you want to honor God with your life, even though it hurts and it doesn't make sense, the easiest way we can do is just start to rearrange our lives so we're avoiding those places that could easily suck us back in. But the biggest reason that we sin is in verse 28 where it says, since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God. Boom, that's it. We've, we we don't want to acknowledge God. We don't want to make him king. We don't want to make him Lord. That's where our, our sin and our selfish and, and fleshly desires and lifestyles come on. But it says he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that should never be done. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior and gossip that is a lot that's a lot ooh i love how gossip is in there because a lot of times we don't think as gossip as a big sin we just think of it as a weakness their lives became full of every kind of wickedness sin greed hate envy murder quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. Gossip is a big thing, y'all. Gossip can kill so many people just by a flick of a tongue. In verse 30, they are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning, and they disobey their parents. I find that very interesting. There is no worse slavery than slavery to sin. Ab- absolutely nothing worse slavery-wise than slavery to sin. In verse 31 it says, "They refused to understand. They break their promises, are heartless and have no mercy. They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die, yet they do them anyways. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. Once we're caught in the lifestyle of sin and we're turned over to it, No one can pull ourselves out. We have to trust that only Christ is our way of escape. He is your only way out. He is the only way out of your depression and anxiety. He is the only way out of our greed, our our malice behavior, our gossip, our hate, our our murder, our envy. When I was living my double life, it was like every sin was me just putting the shovel in the dirt and just start and just like flicking the dirt over, you know, just this first started as a small hole. Didn't seem too big of a deal. You couldn't really tell the difference. And then I just kept kept digging, and then meh, maybe if you accidentally stepped on it, you twist. I twist my ankle, you know, kind of hurt, but mm, it's okay. I can keep walking. And then I just kept in this downward spiral, and with every sin and with everything that I decided that I was going to do and not sacrificing my flesh to God, I built myself a crater in the earth. And then one day I looked up, and I was miles. From the surface of the earth I had dug myself so deep into sin and into darkness that it was like the light was just like a tiny end of a pencil and as hard as I tried to claw myself out I couldn't and it wasn't until the day I decided I wanted Jesus instead that was that was when jesus threw me a ladder down but he was my only way out and in doing these sinful things i deserved to die but i did them anyways i knew they were wrong but i did them anyways and there were times where i encouraged everyone else to do the same thing too because the thing is is misery loves company We know that we're wrong, so we look to everyone else to validate our flesh. I can't even tell you how many times that I went to people who would validate me living with my ex and make me feel better or even tell others, yeah, just live live together. It's fine. And it's because I knew it was wrong, but I didn't want to be the only one living there. So I wanted everyone else to be there too. And oh my gosh, Lord, I am so sorry I did that. I, I should not have called myself a Christian living that way. And if, if you want to live that way, you get to choose to live that way. You do. You, you have a choice of either God or your own ways. You do. You have a choice. But please don't call yourself a Christian if you do. Please don't. I did it for a long time. And because I called myself a Christian, I led others into darkness And that is, my, that is my biggest regret from my past life. It's not my sin. It's not anything else. It is the fact that I led others down that path. And I thank Jesus every day that he forgives me for that. but he is our only way out. He is your only way out. You don't want to live like this. The Holy Spirit is telling me, say to them, you don't want to live like this. There is something in you that is always empty. There is something in you that is telling you instinctively it's wrong, but you're trying to find excuses as to stay. But you don't want to live life like this because you are still hurting. You're hurting yourself, but you're still hurting. God says, I don't want to see you hurting anymore. I want to see you thrive. But you have to choose me, says the Lord. I'm the only way you are going to thrive and have life in abundance. I am your lifeline. I am the ladder in your darkness that will pull you out of it. Lord, I thank you that you are a God who gives us a way out. Lord, I thank you for giving me a way out, and I thank you for whoever is on the other sound of Listening to the sound of my voice or on the other side of this podcast, Lord, I just pray that you, you, you come into them and you infiltrate your their heart, and that you just show them your mercy and your love and your grace, and that you show them the way out because they don't want to live like this, Lord. They don't want it. They're hurting. You see it. You see everything. There is absolutely no secret that we can keep from you. You see everything. Lord, I just pray that you show them the way out. Thank you for being a God who goes to us in our darkest moments, in our darkest hour, and rescue us. You don't sit with us in the darkness. You pull us out of the darkness and into light. Lord, show the people who are listening to this right now how much you love them. Show them the error of their ways. Show them the error of how they've been walking in life and show them how beautiful life can be if they choose you, if they choose to lay down their selfish desires. And Lord, continue to help me lay down my selfish desires because I am not perfect but lead us into your light and into righteousness because of your grace and your salvation. Amen. Y'all, I love y'all so much. Thank you for listening. Thank you for reaching out. You are always free to reach out. Um, I've had a lot of people reach out to me lately and just asking for advice, asking for help, and I'm always here. Um, I'm going to try to be better about being more active on Instagram and Facebook, but, um, it's in God, she trusts on Facebook and on, um, on Instagram. And I just hope that you guys have a blessed week and, uh, just keep leaning on God. Keep reading his word, keep leaning into his ways, and he's going to show you a way out and he's going to show you abundant life. Have a good week, y'all. See you later.